Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Pharisees approached Jesus and asked, Is it lawful for a husband to divorce his wife? They were testing him. He said to them in reply, What did Moses command you? They replied, Moses permitted a husband to write a bill of divorce and dismiss her. But Jesus told them, Because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. In the house, the disciples again questioned Jesus about this. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And people were bringing children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he became indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not prevent them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I say to you. Whoever does not accept the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Then he embraced them and blessed them placing his hands on them. The Gospel of the Lord. Today's Gospel, as you just heard, is on the whole topic and concern of marriage and divorce and remarriage. And also an interesting teaching on little children. You might even wonder what do these two teachings have to do with one another. In fact, from what I was able to surmise in my study is that originally Mark brought these two teachings together to form what might have been a kind of a catechism or catechetical lesson on family life. In any case, I'd like to look at this first part of the teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage as a topic of great concern. 
my guess is there isn't hardly a person here who hasn't felt the pain of separation or divorce in your family in some way. Some of us even more personally ourselves. And what do we make of all of this? Even as I speak, I'm thinking in my mind of someone who I spoke to this morning already, with her permission, I even tell her story that she says, every time we hear this gospel about Jesus' teaching on the indissolubility of marriage, it causes her tremendous pain because she, despite her greatest efforts, found herself separated and then later divorced from her husband. She said for the first few years after that divorce, she could hardly even move herself to attend any wedding. And even now, she says she feels guilty for what was totally outside her control. Perhaps the same for her husband, she added. In any case, I want to try to present this gospel in a way that ended up, even for this woman, in discussing it briefly with her, I think could give us a clear idea of what Jesus said and why he said it, and what he would say to other people today who are struggling in the marriage or are separated or divorced or remarried as well. So I don't know how else to do it, but to jump right in with the Pharisees asking the provocative question of Jesus, is it permissible for a husband to divorce his wife? That was as thorny and touchy a question in Jesus' day as it is in our day. It was frequently debated and argued and discussed. And so they were trying to check Jesus out because they knew what a compassionate man he was on the one hand, and yet the strong principles he held on the other. And so Jesus, in reply, turns to the scripture, which should be our attention, huh? We turn to the scripture and he says, what did Moses command you? Immediately they recalled a passage from Deuteronomy, to be exact, it's chapter 24, verse 1, where it says, and I quote, When a man, after marrying a woman and having relations with her, is later displeased with her, follow this, displeased with her, because he finds in her something, quote, indecent, he therefore writes out a bill of divorce and hands it to her, thus dismissing her from his house. Now, what is wrong with this picture? Already you can see what's so disturbing to Jesus, that a man could simply, literally, write his wife off like that. You see, in Jesus' day, there were no divorce courts, and so there was no public form or form that could hold a husband accountable to his family. And for a man to just dismiss his wife, that meant usually the children followed, she would have been put out on the street to live in poverty, totally at the charity of others. You could see why Jesus would be so concerned about this loose interpretation. And in fact, there were two schools of thought in Jesus' day that pretty much divided the people into two camps, one following Rabbi Shammai, another following the Rabbi Hillel. 
the Rabbi Shammai said that we need to interpret this Deuteronomy passage very strictly. It was a conservative school that tried to uphold all the laws and principles of the Lord. And so they interpreted that word indecency, that single clause that Moses wrote as a reason to dismiss your wife, as a single case of adultery. For the Jewish people believed that when you commit adultery, you defy and destroy the marriage bond. In other words, if the marriage has been so desecrated and hurt, there is some cause for reconsideration, they said. Whereas in the school of Hillel, another popular rabbi of the day, they took this ruling most liberally and interpreted that, quote, indecent behavior, unquote, to mean virtually anything. And it could even mean, in the worst case scenario, and this was interpreted by some rabbis of that day, that when a wife talked to a strange man that was against the mores of the day, or if she spoke disrespectfully of her husband, or get this, even if she spoiled his dinner. <laughs> Incredible. Of course, you're already noticing, why is it only the husband? Because then there should be grounds for divorce if the husband can't cook at all, you know. In those days of ancient Judaism, in this very sexist culture and society, they believed that only the husband could initiate the divorce proceeding. However, it wasn't unknown that the wife would force him to the point, or even in some cases, leave him and go off to marry someone else. But generally speaking, the law only allowed the husband to have the legal right, because men only had those legal rights of protection to initiate the divorce process. That wasn't the case, I might add, under Roman law, which would have affected Mark's community, Mark's the evangelist of this gospel, you would recall. And that point will be made later by Jesus, which we'll get to. In any case, you have these two schools of thought, which had divided so many people on this ruling of divorce, not unlike, I imagine, many people may be divided on this question today. And clearly, univocally, Jesus sides with the school of Shammai to say that we must be very strict in our upholding the sanctity, that is, the indissolubility of marriage. Jesus tells them, Moses wrote that commandment because of your stubbornness, because of your closed-heartedness, if you will. And then Jesus presents the ideal for marriage. But keep that word ideal in mind. He goes back to the greatest authority, which is God himself and the word of God in the very beginning of creation, the first chapter and second chapter of Genesis. He reminds his audience that God created us male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother 
and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus is upholding the sanctity of marriage based on this divine teaching of Genesis that once God makes them one, then, as he says, what God has joined together, we cannot divide. I'll never forget what my mom and dad, who celebrated their 50th anniversary of marriage, said it always takes three to form a marriage, a husband, a wife, and God. That's what we mean by marriage being a sacrament, something holy that God does. God brings two together into one. And if God's building this and bringing this about, then who are we to divide it? It goes against God and God's intention and will, ideally speaking. But we know we live in a real world where there are many forces that pull us apart that sometimes are beyond our control, as is the case with my friend I spoke of in the beginning of this presentation. In many of the case, Jesus feels the great need to uphold the ideal in his society because the tendency to side with the easier way. And that's what he was noticing, that most people in his society were taking the easier way. Not that we should confuse with those who have been divorced have taken the easier way. As my friend says, I went through hell. And we know that, any of us who have experience of that within our own families or our own lives. It must have really confounded, confused the disciples because we're told after this powerful, strong teaching, they came with Jesus inside the house, and immediately they had to talk to him about it. Wait a minute, you could almost hear them saying, because already they were thinking of people they know, like you are thinking of people you know. Wait a minute, how does all this work into the real situations of our life? This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where we have to ask, how is the gospel practical? And Jesus goes on to say, you'd expect him maybe to ease off a little bit. He didn't. Because his next line was, he told him, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And the woman who divorces her husband and marries another commits adultery. This is hard. This is a hard teaching. How do we reconcile this gospel? And yet, even in the gospel itself, we have already some hint of some pastoral and practical nuancing. Because in Mark's gospel offers no exception to the rule. But in Matthew's gospel, he already mentions in the case of adultery or in the case that it's not a lawful union, such as the case of maybe a cousin's marrying. In other words, there's a hint here, what I believe the teaching of Jesus is what God has joined together. But that poses the question, does God intend all the couples to get married to get married? Did God really join them together? That's a good question to ask. In any case, Jesus' very teaching on divorce is very radical for his day because first it presumes what most of his contemporaries never did, namely that women had equal rights and equal dignity. He raised them to the level of the man. 
Secondly, he believed that a wife should not be discarded like property, which some Jewish people believed at the time. And when I speak of Jewish people, I'm speaking of the religious people of the day. They thought they could just rather conveniently put this behind them. And finally, Jesus believed that no matter what, the husband needed to be held accountable and responsible to his family. He cannot just leave them out on the streets in poverty. So, what do we make of all of that? I think the church today is between a rock and a hard place. The rock is this solid rock, strong teaching of Jesus on the indissolubility of marriage. But the hard place is the hard situations in which we all find ourselves. Sometimes impossible situations we find ourselves. So I'd like to offer just a few brief comments that I hope are more pastoral application of the principle that we have already heard. On the one hand, Jesus presented an ideal that I think we should teach and that all couples should try to reach. Namely, that what the vows say are sacred that I take you for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, until death do us part. And I believe, as some couples have told me, sometimes the only thing that's kept them faithful to each other is their commitment to that commitment. Does that make sense? They're saying, I'm committed to the commitment that I made to my spouse and to my Lord. And I believe today in a society where more than half of our couples sadly end in divorce, I believe that this teaching needs to be given again and again and again. On the other hand, we must admit that the ideal must be applied to the real situation, and that is where we enter into some gray areas in that what Jesus was giving as a teaching, he may have been giving different counseling, talking to the woman I spoke to this morning, or the people we know in their situations in life. What would he tell them? I personally believe that Jesus would not want someone to stay in a marriage if it's destroying them or if it's destroying the children. Would you agree? I don't believe the Lord wants that. I don't believe the Lord wants a couple to stay married if he never intended them to be married in the first place. I know some couples like that. Being in the marriage business now 20 years, I see a lot, and I become much, much less judgmental, much more compassionate. I understand how we don't even are conscious of our motivations many times till later in life. But I know some people, unconscious of the time, married to get out of a troubled family or home. I know that they married someone that wasn't good for them and they didn't know them. As my mom and dad always said, you really don't know somebody until you live with them a few years. It's really true. And what if you found out you were at the very heart, that is the very depths of you, are totally incompatible? What if you found that out? And I'm not talking about little quirks that get on our nerves. What if a person, as I have discovered, was really 
emotionally or psychologically incapable of intimacy. It may be a drug addiction or drinking problem. It may be they're just not mature enough to really enter into a loving relationship that would be committed, that would be responsible. And that's hard sometimes to determine earlier on. It's only later that can be realized. And so what do we do about those situations? After many years of listening, learning from couples, especially who have struggled, I have learned that there's great wisdom in the church for first and foremost, providing the best premarital counseling and preparation program as possible. You know, we require six months. Some dioceses are moving to a whole year-long preparation period where they have to meet with a married couple and go through a personality profile and then go through that with a married couple. And then they meet with us and we go, fill out all kinds of questions. We do a personal assessment. All this is imperative today because there's so many issues. But secondly, I believe in the church's ministry to those who are struggling in marriage. There's the retrovi. You've heard of that ministry, those who are struggling. This is what we provide plus counseling. But God knows some have done all they could do and have gone the extra mile and longer. And those are most of the people I have, I know who have are divorced. They've done everything that I consider humanly possible. In such a case, I think we need to show them the face of Jesus, who is a man of compassion, and offer them our greatest support. And today the church, you know, allows divorce because of that point legally it has to be worked out. Better yet, dissolution, if that can be amiably worked out. I believe the church is wise in providing what is the service of the church tribunal that tries to look at this marriage and see what happened and then offer an annulment. But I don't know anything that's more misunderstood. I, I don't even have the time, but let me just quickly say quick things. I really believe in annulments. What I have found is if it's seen as a process of healing, this is what the couples need more than anything. Otherwise, they carry this hurt and excess baggage throughout the rest of life and worse yet, into another marriage. They need to sort through it all and look at it through God's eyes. And sorting it through, they can see what God would suggest, what I think wisdom would show them. And what the church looks for is if, there wasn't really a bond that was formed. I don't care how many children they have. What does that really have to do with it in terms of what happened in their hearts and in their lives? Then what the church says is they can't nullify a marriage or grant an annulment from what we can tell that the bond was never solidly formed. And so this then would be compatible with the gospel of today. And I think it's a pastoral way of dealing with this whole problem. Obviously, that can't always be shown or proven. And in such a case, again, the church allows this clause you're familiar with called the internal forum. So if they go through the external form of the annulment process and an affirmative decision is not made, but still in their conscience, they believe they have done what is right. They can then meet privately with a priest and can be reconciled with the church. I think that is as understanding as can be. In fact, with most of the people I've worked with in the last five years, virtually everybody has received an annulment. And all of them 
that I know of have expressed to me this was a really healing process, a very helpful process. If you allow me to shift gears here, Jesus then gives his teaching on children. He says, you must become like little children. You obviously remember the scene is the disciples want to keep the children from Jesus as if to say, hey, look, don't bother him. He's too busy. But Jesus became indignant. That's a powerful word. Indignant, angry with his disciples because he felt a special mission to the little people. Now, who are the little people in our society? I'll put this to you. The little people I've met oftentimes are those who have been divorced, who've been humbled, who've experienced failure. Are those not the little ones? The ones I've met, not necessarily, of course, not automatically. In fact, it could make them even more embittered and more proud, but that's not who I've met. Who are the little children and what does it mean to be a child? But recall what I said a couple weeks ago, that was no compliment to be called a child. In that day and age in Jesus' time, when children had no status and no importance. And Jesus uses this example, would have been countercultural. And yet, he said incredible words, I assure you, if you do not accept the kingdom of God like a little child, you shall not enter into it. In other words, how did children earn anything? They don't. They can only be open to it and accept it as gift. How can we get to heaven? No way we can earn it. No way we could deserve it. No way we could work for it. All we could do is be open to it like a child and come to our Father and pray thy kingdom come. So in closing, I ask us to pray for family life. I absolutely believe uh, one of the hardest things happening in the country today is we're being torn apart in our families. And I want to pray for those single-parent families. I want to ask us to be conscious of the real world and help us, encourage us to be supportive to everybody, especially those who need our support the most, and never to be judgmental. Never to be judgmental. But always be compassionate. Always be understanding. Always be supportive. And yet at the same time, uphold the principles, the beautiful teaching of Jesus Christ. We must become like little children. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.